Hi, and welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I am your host for today, Michael Martin, and I am joined by Joe Masato, not the Joe of the hour, though, as there was a big time game on this Saturday. Joe, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well, and um, I think it's time. I, I don't want to waste any time. Let's talk about Isaiah Joe, because that was like probably since I've been covering the team, the most unbelievable single individual performance that I've ever seen. It was just crazy. It was crazy. Yeah, I'm putting him in my Mount Rushmore of Joe's, Joe Masato, Isaiah Joe. It's just me and Isaiah hanging Joe out. Burrow, Joe Pesci, <laughs> Joe Rogan, <laughs> Joe Frazier, all those guys. It's a very uh, eclectic group of Joes, I would it, say. It's a, very, it's a very esteemed group that's hard to get into, but it was an unbelievable game. Just to go through the rundown of events, Isaiah Joe enters the game for Poku at 453 with the score being 95, Mavericks, Thunder, 79 mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter. And then I looked up on basketball reference, his nickname, Stroke & Joe. Stroke & Joe. Unbelievable. Goes for 15 points, two boards, and a dime with a perfect perfect four for four from the field including three of three from three and the biggest shot of the game to tie it up at 99 with 16 seconds left yeah so i i mean he hits the the game tying shot at the end of regulation when shea finds him with the assist then he hits the go-ahead three in overtime he was a plus 24 in his nine minutes on, on the floor and i asked mark dagnall after the game like what are you thinking when you you know put isaiah joe into the game because when the thunder was down 16 um with just less than five minutes left you know it, it's probably like the answer's kind of obvious like you're clearing out your bench like probably not going to work out for the Thunder on this night. But at the same time, Isaiah Joe can get hot. He's He was brought in as a three-point specialist, and the dude just goes crazy. And it was just like, you know, for Thunder fans who haven't really been following along super closely, or like NBA fans at large, have no idea who Isaiah Joe is, and he's just out there killing the Mavericks. And um, yeah, I, I thought it was, it was such a cool story. And like talking to him after the game, he was obviously all smiles and stuff. So it, it was a fun game. Yeah, you mentioned it, his plus 24 and nine minutes against the Mavericks is now the new NBA record for plus minus and exactly nine minutes of playtime. Wow. We're getting very niche here. He's beating out the esteemed Travis Knight's record of plus 19 in 2002. I remember it well. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> we'll all know where we were sitting on the Isaiah Joe night, but what was it like in that building? I, I was very curious because you see games like this with the runs, you can feel the air kind of come out of the building. Mm-hmm. What was it like? I, I think that describes it well. The air came out of the building and like it's always a a really good atmosphere at the American Airlines Center in Dallas and they have a lot to be excited about with Luca and everything like that the crowd was um it was pretty full and it was I think it was more um confusion than anything people looking around like what the heck is going on here because uh, Tim McMahon had that set for me as being stats and info that teams with a 16 point lead um oh I've got it right here if you want you got it yeah, yeah. 99 9,975 and one going to that game now it is 9,975 and two and two the other game was the uh Wolves lost to the Kings in 2020 that was the De'Aaron Fox like mm-hmm. free throw game but just an unbelievable game it was unbelievable and like we're, we're talking a lot about Isaiah Joe, but Shea Gilgis Alexander, 38 points, nine assists, six rebounds, 15 of 27, eight of eight from the free throw line. I did not jinx him. He is now 30 of 30 from the free throw line. And he has just taken, I, I know it's early, so I, I don't want to be prone to hyperbole, but he's taken a step towards superstardom and, and we know how good he is. But I didn't know that he had this extra level in him because he was already so good. I completely agree. And I don't think you're somebody who's 
who's going to be hyperbolic about these things, but the leap from star to superstar is the hardest in the NBA. And Shea looked every part of it playing against another top five guy or playing against a top five guy in Luka Doncic. Mm -hmm. And he gave Luka everything he could ask for on the offensive end, went toe-to-toe with him and just looked like a monster all night and looked unguardable. Yeah, I mean, he's, I, I don't even know what else to say about him. He plays 41 minutes. He's just like relentless in attacking the basket. Not like physically relentless, but it's just like he, he's so fluid. He just like, he, he seeps into every open space in the defense, basically, and can get whatever he wants near the rim. And I talk about the free throw shooting. I know I'm joking about, you know, being perfect from the line, but that's the mark of a superstar, too, is like getting to the line eight times in a game and, you know, just putting that pressure on a defense. And the, the Thunder's offense, I mean, we talk about the ball movement and everything like that, but sometimes you just got to give it to Shea and let him work because he's that good. Yeah, he's one of the best isolation players in the league, and you mentioned it with free throws. That's kind of the catalyst for a lot of these guys to become the top five scorers in the league people you know clown on James Harden but that was a big part of his deal in Houston was 13 free throws a game or something like that and when you can get a majority of your points that way it makes it super easy I know people around here might not love to hear it but it's a great compliment he's got some Harden in Mm -hmm. his game like there's just some similarities there with the pace in which they play the craftiness around the the basket the the knack for getting fouls so um I'm, I'm not like there's obviously a lot of differences as well but you can see some of that uh, Harden style offense in this game as far as a score I can absolutely see that he's definitely um you mentioned it just like his deceleration game his mm-hmm. pace his ball handling his finishing as a guard is unbelievable sort of like Harden if we can get anything like James Harden out of Shea I'm calling that an absolute win yeah for sure yeah but um moving on to the other side of the things Luka Doncic was in Lou Dort's prison Dort held him to 14 points four assists and three turnovers while he was guarding him four of 11 and 0 for 5 from three including a clutch stop on a game-winning shot yeah and then after the game Luca called Lou Dort a top three defender in the NBA I know that was a spur of the moment declaration probably wasn't thinking about it all that much but it just shows you how much that Dort bothered Luca in that game and Mark Dagnalt said something interesting afterwards in that with a guy like Luca, you've got to most teams have to send double teams at him they've got to trap him they've got to use all, all this extra pressure but when the game came down to that last minute you knew Luca was going to take the the game-winning attempt in overtime and it was just Lou Dort matched up against him one-on-one they didn't have to throw an extra body because they have such faith in Lou Dort and you know Doncic could have found someone open on the on the wing or in the corner like if they if they brought a second guy but they didn't do that Lou Dort hung tough and he he was incredible defensively he just frustrated Luca all night. You could see it visibly just on the broadcast, and I'm sure you could see it in person. Luca was not happy with a lot of the physicality and Dort getting up into him. But Dort, to me in that game, looked almost like a star cornerback playing against a wide receiver and just mm-hmm. saying, we're shutting off this side of the field. Obviously, no one's shutting down Luca, but he did about as good of a job as anybody out there, especially for against a guy like Luca who's had so much success against great defenders like a Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Mikhail Bridges, and others. Yeah, Mark Daniel didn't like that he got to the free throw line 19 times. He was 15 of 19. He's got an unbelievable triple-double line, 31, 16, and 10. But it, he was also 8 of 23 and incredibly inefficient. So it kind of speaks to Luka's mastery. Um, but also, and I, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse here. Everyone talks about how much Luka complains. But just seeing it on every possession, I was going crazy. Like, it's... It, it's just it just grates on you and it takes away from what would be an incredible experience in watching this guy play and it still is but man it drives me nuts 
I, I felt that I tweeted out that he had um, in that game more conversations with the referees than dribbles. Yeah, it's like every trip down the court. Just just crazy, but you'd you'd get me mentally shook if Lou Dort was in to me the entire game like that, like a straight jacket. But yeah. Dort was great. But you mentioned it, superstar Shea Gilgis Alexander. He wins West Pl- uh, Western Conference Player of the Month um, alongside Eastern Conference Player of the Month, Giannis Atenakumbo. Shea. This week goes for 31.7 points per game, 7.7 assists per game, 5.3 rebounds, 2.7 steals, 1.3 blocks per game on 50-50-100 shooting in a 3-0 span. Sounds pretty good. I I think that's fairly decent. Yeah, and so overall, I mean, in addition to winning Western Conference Player of the Week, he's sixth right now in the NBA in scoring. Um, On the assist chart, he is uh, 16th. I think he's top five in steals. So just doing a little bit of everything. I I haven't looked at the updated stats, but on the NBA stats efficiency ratings, he was in the top five, and it was with guys like Luka, Jason Tatum, Giannis, Durant, like the, the who's who of the NBA. So he's in really good company right now definitely speaking of good company there are only four players this season averaging 30 points per game five assists five rebounds this season that is Shea Steph Curry Giannis Antetokounmpo and Luka Doncic it's early but um this is certainly shaping up to be the Shea all-star season I think you're right and uh, we mentioned earlier Shea against the Mavs 38 points 15 of 27 from the field didn't make a three but that didn't matter his perfect eight for eight from the line despite the Joe Masato curse with nine assists, six rebounds, two steals, and a block. He was just everywhere, as we talked about, and just... I don't know. We mentioned before, like, what's the next step for him? But Mm -hmm. if he can play like this all the time, sky is the limit for him. Well, and, like, the defense has been the next step that we haven't really that we knew was there but we hadn't seen in full force and he's really stepped things up on that end this season which I think is encouraging you also look so last year he attempted 5.3 threes per game this year he's at 3.8 so he's taken one and a half fewer three-pointers per game and I'm not necessarily saying that's a good thing because if he can be an efficient shooter he's shooting 37 percent you would like to see that number a little higher but remember in the first half of last season he was taking those step back threes like sideways step back and high arcing shots that were really difficult and it was almost like no one else on the floor is going to do anything shot clock's winding down I got to take one of these threes and I think he is so adept at getting to the rim like he's not settling for those tough threes when he is attempting threes this year they they seem to be um, open in the rhythm of the offense and like he's more comfortable taking them I was just thinking about that actually I was thinking I was like he has not done one of those long stride sidestep threes Mm -hmm. all this year which he was pretty effective at early in the season it kind of tailed off but especially in the mid-range he's been lethal yeah and the mid-range is what we saw Uh, it kind of trailed off last season but remember that cp shooter year they were all such good mid-range shooters but shea got to that shot as well and i think it's certainly a good shot for him because i i know we sort of downgrade the the value of of mid-range shots but some of the best players are the best mid-range shooters and it is an efficient shot for them which is you know why why they can take it and why others probably shouldn't take it but a guy like shea that puts so much pressure on the rim guys are just waiting for him 
if they're playing a drop and he can settle for that mid-range jumper and be really effective yeah he's a true three level score and you're just picking your poison with him because like you mentioned he's league leader in drives he can make the three shooting over 35 percent right now and then if he can make the mid-range and he can pass there's just really no answer for a guy like that did you see i asked him about the free throw stuff after the game i saw that he was not for sure you you asked him you're like how many free throws have you missed this year and he's just real you can see the wheels turning in his head i felt bad because i thought he was a immediately gonna like you know have some snarky remark or laugh about it but then I started to feel bad because he's like I could like see him go through his game logs of every game and he's like well I and I was like, Shay, you, you haven't missed a free throw. So um, everyone, it's my fault if he misses tonight. But let me tell you something. He's not going to go um, 100% for this season. So it's going to happen sooner. Than this is later. a devastating announcement. I was not expecting. But he's 22 away from Kevin Durant's Thunder record, by the way. Really? Okay. Well, that is something definitely to keep track yeah. of. Um, he's also, you're talking about Thunder history. He's the first Thunder player since 2016, 2017. Russell Westbrook to total 150 points through the first five games of the season. That's that's also very good. I mean, what else more can we say about him? He's averaging 31 points per game. Um, in a bold prediction thing I did at the beginning of the season, I said he'd be a top five scorer in the league. I don't know if that was bold enough. Maybe maybe I should have said he's going to lead the NBA in scoring. I don't think that will happen, but like it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. Everything's on the table with a guy like that. And um, something you referred to earlier with the free throws, I thought this was interesting. I thought that I saw this stat on Twitter. Total drives leaders this season Shea is number one obviously but he's 28th in total free throws attempted number two is Ja, and he's ninth in total free throws attempted and three is Luca in total drives and he's fifth in total free throws attempted okay so Shea is 28th in free throws Shea is number one in drives but 28th in free throws attempted this which year. you can look at it two ways like it seems like he should be taking more free throws given those numbers um but it also tells you like if he starts to get more of those superstar calls like he's only going to go up in efficiency for sure he'll be even better i just thought that was um sort of interesting with the topic of the lack of free throws in the last few games especially for him yeah and it's hard to compare him and job because job plays with so much more force and i i can see why he gets fouled more luca maybe the officials just get tired of him just poking him and poking them so uh, maybe he gets some of those calls he's certainly in a different class than shay but yeah that's that's impressive yeah that's a good point shay he is kind of great at maneuvering around physicality he's mm-hmm. kind of he reminds me of mr fantastic from the fantastic four where he just contorts and his arms you think are only going to go out so long and somehow he gets an extra two feet and he finishes around the basket but he was incredible um another great thing from the other game the other day was was a J-Dub debut 2.0. Jalen Williams of Santa Clara came out after his first game, after he um, missed some time when he got his face sort of caved in by Jaden McDaniels on air and elbow and had to have um, some surgery. Yeah, right orbital surgery. Yeah, I I thought we certainly missed seeing him earlier in the year because you saw six minutes in that first game and then everyone was excited about it. Then he goes out, misses several games, but it was good to see him come back and in Dallas, I thought it was a little mixed bag, more positive than good 
Dagnall said after the game that some of it's like rookie mistakes that are going to be baked in, but you can see he is, he's so much like quicker than I thought he would be, especially at like getting to the rim and he, he can really finish around there. And like, that's just another guy joining Shea and Giddy who both get to the rim, Shea especially, but like J-Dub looks to be doing it in a different way where he's like really using his athleticism, which I think we very much underrated in the draft process. Like one of the things about him was like, okay, like how, how good of an athlete is he? And then we see him like dunking everything in summer league and, you know, playing better defense than, than maybe we expected. So yeah, I, I need to see a lot more of J-Dub before I um, have a good idea of like what kind of player he could be, especially as a rookie, but so far so good. I agree. I was definitely excited by just seeing him out there. He looked like a seasoned vet just in how patient he was with a lot of reads. Mm-hmm. You can tell he's definitely a guy who spent some time in college compared to a lot of other Thunder players who are yeah. one and done or none and done coming into the league. And you could just see that with his patience and didn't look like he was bothered at all by the mask. He had 14 points, four steals, three assists, should have had a few more, three rebounds in only 27 minutes. And I just, uh, I was pretty impressed with him. And he was a sight for sore eyes for a Thunder team that needed extra ball handling whenever Shea is not on the floor and with Giddy out right now. Yeah, and he's going to get minutes. I mean, we've talked about the roster crunch. I don't know who it's going to be. Um, it sits like Guzman Jang and, and Jay Will didn't play in Dallas. They were assigned. It was actually kind of crazy. They practiced with the blue the morning of the game, then went down to Dallas separately. Uh, didn't play, but they were active for that game. So there's going to be a lot of blue activations and deactivations. All this to say, J-Dub is not going to be one of those guys, barring a huge surprise in my mind. But he, he's going to have steady minutes playing, you know, 25 to 30 a game it looks like do you see some glimpses of Shea and him and I don't I want to temper expectations obviously but just in the way how crafty he is and how he moves and he mentioned Shea is one of the guys he models his game after in the draft process yeah he did mention that and I'm still I can see it some but Shea's style is so hard to replicate like mm-hmm. no one really plays like Shea um but I I think that is I want to talk to him more about that for a story to see in like what ways that he sees uh, some similarities there for sure and then you mentioned it more roster roulette things are changing constantly saw this on twitter no thunder lineup this season joe has played more than 35 possessions together via cleaning the glass it's gonna take us to like the all-star break to have any good like lineup data in six games uh they've already played 118 different five-man lineups that's crazy and they've had five different starting lineups i think in those six games so yeah i I, i'm i'm looking right now at leaders and minutes played you have the likely guys dort sga man wiggins is fourth right now in total minutes so he's one of those guys that i really like aaron wiggins but i think they're gonna prioritize like younger higher upside guys like if it's j-dub or wiggins i think j-dub is going to play at times in the season i think if it's jang or wiggins they're more interested to see what jang can do in there but Wiggins is certainly a good stabilizer but yeah I mean there's just Isaiah Joe is Isaiah Joe going to get minutes now I I don't know like they're not going to overreact to one game but the bottom line is injuries will happen stuff will happen but until then there's there's not like a clear thing the Thunder can really do to get all of these guys minutes. You're absolutely right. And only four out of those 118 lineups have played more than 10 minutes together. <laughs> Just ridiculous. Oh and none of the top four both contain Giddy and Shea. There's two lineups with Giddy, two lineups with Shea in the top four. Yeah, we're, we're still waiting on that. Uh, fingers crossed uh, that 
tonight, Tuesday, when we're recording this, that Josh Giddy will be back. But because that's like the one thing we still need to learn so much more about. So what do you think, I guess, are the potential upsides, downsides of playing so many guys and constant lineup changes? It's a good question. So we actually asked um, Aaron Wiggins this and Mike Mascala. And Mascala had a unique perspective as an older guy that the pros are certainly, you know, that like at any time you can be called on and you could go into the game and get some minutes and play in a big spot. The cons are it's harder to develop a rhythm when there's not set rotations and you don't really know when you're going to get called on. Um, So I think both of those things make a lot of sense. Um, Now, Mark Zegnall has said they've been pretty upfront, like exploring the roster has been sort of the catchphrase. And I think that's still what they're doing, even though they're playing better now than um, some of the teams that we associate that term with. But they're they don't know what they have in. I I mentioned Wiggins, like he's still a second year player. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, his minutes are going to be a little up and down. Poku, they, they still are trying to find out what they have in Poku. I think they're trying to find out what they have in Darius Baisley as he enters the last year of his rookie contract. Um, so I do think the pros are you're going to get a steady diet of all of these guys to have a good baseline of knowledge on them. The cons are it's hard to know like which lineups work, which combinations to throw out. You don't have huge sample sizes on anyone. Um, so I, I guess that's kind of how I would put it. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Building chemistry is definitely a thing. Finding rhythm was the thing that stood out to me. Mm-hmm. There are different guys who it's just you're not as easily plug and play. They're going to need a few possessions. They're going to need extra minutes before they feel comfortable. And when it's constantly changing I think it's definitely has some wear and tear on them. I can see it with Isaiah Joe where it's like, we're not going to sure, we're not for sure that you're going to play tonight, but just be ready. Mm -hmm. But when it's guys six through 12 are all in that sort of limbo, it feels like that makes things a little bit more complicated. Yeah, that's a good point. Like Isaiah Joe is a specialist, like he's a three point shooter. That's his presumably elite skill. If he turns into the Isaiah Joe that he was in Dallas. Um, But yeah, it is those like, you know, the first, not even the first few guys off the bench, but like like you said, deeper in that rotation, 8 to 12, whatever it may be. And they're going to play 12, 13 guys a night, I think. And it's going to differ in, you know, how much they play. Like, I think Robinson Earl has been interesting. He's averaging 16 and a half minutes per game. Last year, he averaged 22.2. So he's, he's like, Hey, what's going on here? I mean, he's not saying that, but I can I can see why that a young player could be thinking that because their roles are changing so fluidly. And JRE is a guy who a lot of people penciled in as that fourth starter, and mm-hmm. they would kind of filter out whoever the center or other forward spot is. So that's definitely been a change. Um, is there anything that you think that Mark is just asking these guys that needs to be done that he's prioritizing that certain guys aren't doing, or is it just really exploring the roster as much as possible? Yeah, I don't I don't think it's like anyone individually at this point that's like losing playing time by what they're doing on the floor I think Mark has sent some messages to some guys we've talked about like Poku and Baisley it's sometimes an effort and motor thing and or if he doesn't see something he doesn't like he's quick to pull them I I think it is just getting guys on the floor and like everyone's collective minutes other than the Giddies, SGAs Dorts I think man is gonna have a stable role obviously but aside from those guys you you really don't know what you're gonna get night to night for sure and a lot of it just comes down to um, matchups and just who they're playing and mm-hmm. different things like that. Like I think tonight against Paolo and Franz and that front line, you're going to see a lot of Baisley, which you wouldn't see in some other games. Probably not as much Poku just because those guys weigh three times more than him. Yeah, But 
it's it's definitely very interesting and it's a great problem to have with too many options compared to the Thunder's teams the last few years where there weren't enough guys yeah and it has been interesting to watch those front court rotations because um like you said like Jeremiah Robinson Earl I thought he would be basically an everyday starter he hasn't been that they've gone smaller with Poku they in the season opener they went with that Poku Kenrich Williams front court in Dallas we saw Poku Aaron Wiggins front court and I thought that made sense against Dallas um, who was without starting center JaVale McGee and they started it was Dwight Powell and Dorian Finney-Smith I guess would have been the four so that's like going really small as well so they're comfortable playing matchups yeah and as weird as it can be and people question some of these different lineup changes the biggest compliment I can give to Mark is at least he's trying Mm -hmm. some other coaches would just go chalk and it's like this is our starters this is what we're gonna do for the season yeah but the willingness to at least try and then maybe you figure something out like people have talked about it until they're blue in the face but Draymond Green at the five was not some just great idea someone had it was made out of necessity because of some injuries and some roster construction and maybe that's something that can happen here in Oklahoma City. Yeah and Mark deserves a lot of credit and his whole staff. Um, It's also Sam in the front office who you know their job is I I think they give Mark a lot of leeway certainly in rotations and in-game decisions and all of that stuff but like their job is to get a baseline of information on all of these guys as well um, to see how to value guys so it's kind of a collective effort I think. Well the Thunder are off to sort of a strong start they start out 0 and 3 and then go 3 and 0 right after that there's been a lot of hype and excitement especially after that great Isaiah Joe game where some people are going we're going to the playoffs uh, the Thunder are going to the play-in what do you think is uh, the most likely scenario here should fans temper their expectations or start buying into this team as a potential play-in contender I would say to temper your expectations for the Thunder being a play-in contender so I, I temper expectations is weird because some people expected them to have a high lottery pick and that's what they want some people expect them like hey it's time to win let's make the play in um looks like it's going to be somewhere in between now they could still get lucky in the lottery maybe they will be a playoff team maybe this seventh ranked defense in the nba is legitimate and if so they're going to be pretty good because Shea has taken that leap. I still think with the strength of the West that a play in berth is unlikely. They're not going to make any moves, any external moves. They're not going to bring anyone in to make a play in push run, kind of like what the Pelicans did last year. That's not happening in Oklahoma City. If the guys on the roster are take such a leap, if Shea's leap continues, if, if other guys, everyone we've talked about, if they take a step up and the team is just good enough to make the play in on their own I think they're going to be okay with that I mean there's nothing the front office is going to do about that but if they get to the point where they're sort of teetering on elimination or you know making the plan seems unlikely I think we're going to see what happened at the end of last year whether it's some guys resting more or prioritizing even the guys deeper on the bench I don't think the front office goal I know the front office goal at the beginning of the season was to it wasn't to make the plan it wasn't to not not make the play in but it's not something that this team has been shooting for but I'm sure the players are shooting for I'm sure they're shooting to to be a playoff team and and skip the play in yeah you took the words right out of my mouth on a couple of those points there where some of it is just not in the team's control the west is really good and you can say it's like 
oh, the Thunder are a really good team. There are definitely eight other teams who are better than them who you can look at. Mm-hmm. And it's been a really weird start to the season. Obviously, they opened 3-3 three and three this year. But I wanted to take a little bit step back and look at last year. They opened as 4-6, and six, so about the same pace. It's good context. Finished 24-58. and 58, And then 2020-2021, they start out, uh, out at 500-5-5, five and, five, and they finished 22-50. and 50. Yeah. I uh, I said 28 and 54 at the beginning of the year. Maybe I would give them 30 wins, but I don't think it's going to be much more than that. I, I think I'm not going to tell, I, I don't want to tell people not to get excited because like these last few games have been super fun and fans who go to the arena want them to team to win i totally understand that um but I, I guess don't let a three game sample sort of cloud what we all kind of thought this season would be now if it's this huge pleasant surprise and they're suddenly way better than uh, everyone thought they would be that that's also uh, nice but i wouldn't count on it happening yeah if you're optimistic that's fantastic i'm definitely looking in the same way that you are you beat the clippers two times in a row who are, have not looked great without Kawhi Oof. and paul george didn't look good in that other game and then you beat the mavs on a game that's basically a miracle that's happened twice in the last 25 years so i'm not sure this is exactly the zeitgeist moment that will <laughs> propel them forward but maybe it is but a lot of things can change the season is not a sprint it's a marathon i went back to last year's top five seeds in both conferences through the month of October. In the East, it was the Heat, the Wizards, Whoa. the Hornets, the Knicks, and the Bulls. Yeah, that, that's that's really good to give the historical context of just how early it is right now. Well, and then you look at the West, it was the Warriors, the Nuggets, the Mavs, the Jazz, and the Lakers were yeah. in the top five for the West. So still a ton of basketball games to be played. That doesn't mean you can't be optimistic, but I would definitely temper things and wait it out just a little bit longer before we start talking about things like that. And it's just, it's a weird season um, because I thought the team would be in the mix for the 10 spot because of mainly the Rockets, the Jazz, and the Spurs were all supposed to be mm-hmm. uh, worse than the Thunder. But right now the Jazz and the Spurs are looking like world beaters for whatever reason. They're defeating all their expectations. But my gut still tells me they're closer to 11 and 12 spots in the uh, West standings than potentially getting in the play-in mix of 7 to 10. I think so, too. I'm going to make a not-so-bold prediction that the Thunder will finish ahead of both the Jazz and the Spurs. So uh, the Jazz are 6-2, and two, Spurs are 5-2, and two, Thunder's 3-3. Three and three. You look at the point differential, um, the Spurs have a negative point differential despite being 5-2. and two. The Thunder actually has a positive point differential, one of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 teams in the West with a positive um, point differential. You look at the Mavericks, plus 7.3, the Thunder plus 1, and, and they have the same record. You've got teams behind the Thunder, the Warriors, they're going to finish ahead. The Clippers, they're going to finish ahead. Or, you know, send Victor Wembanyama to OKC if they don't. Um, the Kings... Uh, I think should finish ahead. The Lakers, who knows? They're yeah. they're awful, and then the Rockets are terrible as well. Yeah, still a lot of season to go, but I would expect them to be in that mix of like nine or into like the um, eleven to twelve, thirteen mix for sure. But yeah, that's that's about what I think. Tonight we get an interesting game. We get a Magic Young matchup, and tonight an OKC between the Orlando Magic and the Oklahoma City Thunder, which should have been Paolo versus Chet on prime time, but unfortunately with Chet's injury, obviously. What are you looking forward to the most? Think will be the biggest key to deciding winner, or any other thoughts going into tonight's game? What I'm looking forward to the most is seeing Paolo play live because he has just been incredible and exceeded expectations uh just his everyone is saying this but it looks like he's been in the nba for like seven years with the way he's playing and just how physical he is so i'm really looking forward to that i do want to say something about the nba 
shame on you, NBA and TNT, <laughs> because who wants to watch Nets-Bulls tonight, which is the game they replaced uh, Thunder Magic with? I, I totally understand. So th- there's a couple things that I think went into it just from talking to folks. One is obvious. It's Chet. Like, this was scheduled to be number one versus number two, Chet versus Paolo, these two young rebuilding teams. If Chet's not there, um, the Thunder aren't as appealing to be on national television, despite Shea playing the way he's playing. Um But the second thing is a lot of the schedule came out while Kevin Durant still had a trade request. No one knew if he was going to stay in Brooklyn. If Durant's not in Brooklyn, all of a sudden the Nets aren't must-watch TV. He stays in Brooklyn, so then the networks have to scramble and get the Nets on national TV a little bit more. So the combination of those two things led led to this but it's kind of a bummer i mean the the thunder hasn't been on national tv not counting nba tv um in the last couple of years and i was talking to someone um after thunder practice about this it's like shay you know not a lot people are talking about him nationally now but i think they're just realizing how good he is but some of that is like he hasn't been on national tv and like that's huge because people around the league are watching those games and like if that game versus Luca and the Mavs was on national TV, it'd be like, oh my gosh, like look at the Shea Gilders Alexander guy. Um, but if the Thunder can't ever get on national TV, that's not going to happen. So kind of like a chicken or the egg thing. So, um, but yeah, a bummer. Yeah, definitely a bummer. The NBA doesn't want Bull Bull versus Poku on prime time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but they did put last week, they put uh, Pacers versus Wizards on ESPN. So yeah, that was a fun one. Wasn't that, that's it? how you know where the, the Thunder stand in the uh, NBA's eyes right now, I guess. Bull Bull versus Poku might be like niche NBA Twitter, like top five matchup in the in the NBA. NBA Twitter would pay a lot of money just for them to play one-on-one and get everyone else <laughs> off the court. That might be more watched than like a Thunder Magic game. It's just like Bull Bull ver- versus Poku. Just an empty, or just full arena, just those two guys call your own fouls. No, I, I want it to be in the cage out here, the uh, outdoor court that's in downtown Oklahoma City by the arena. Everyone lines up street ball style, and it's just like Poku and Bol Bol going at each other, just limbs snapping all over the place. Mark yelling at Poku through a cage. <laughs> Great things like that. I, I'd pay a lot of money for that, but uh. the Magic are starting a huge lineup with Wendell Carter Jr. at center, Paolo Bancaro, Bol Bol, Franz Wagner, and then Terrence Ross as their shortest guy was their uh, starting lineup on Sunday night against the Mavericks. Ross, their shortest starter at six foot six. So I think you're going to see a lot of length from both teams. The Thunder have obviously played small this year, but small not necessarily in height or in length, but just I guess in um, physicality or strength. But mm-hmm. I think this will be a very interesting matchup to see which starters Mark goes with tonight. Yeah, uh, Terrence Ross, by the way, just. Ma- magic for life at this point it, it seems it's, it's just so funny how like he him and miles turner are probably 1a and 1b in most trade talks but um you mentioned the ma- the magic's size they're unfortunately going to be missing some guys cole anthony is out markel fultz is out obviously jonathan isaac is still out jalen suggs is questionable for tonight the thunder hasn't updated its injury report um but there's a chance we see Josh Giddy. So hopefully some of these young guys are back because I'm still excited. This is going to be a fun game. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to see both these teams in rebuilds and they're sort of mirroring each other in, I guess, the idea that you can see the pace of where it's like Paolo, Chet on the other end, and then they get Franz and Jalen Suggs and the Thunder get Josh Giddy. Just looking at those two rebuilds, um, even if you want to take it a step further and go way back and go Mo Bamba and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Yeah, I, I think the Thunder would not want to be 
be compared to the Magic's rebuild just because the Magic has been rebuilding for much longer, but like they have hit on some of these recent picks. The Magic have just been like in this in-between range where they're not getting like the top pick, but they're always in that like four, five type range and they haven't gotten that franchise guy, but it looks like Paolo is going to be that franchise guy, which is really cool for the Orlando Magic. Yeah, they've been sort of in limbo since the since Dwight Howard left. The one top pick they did get was Victor Oladipo in the mm-hmm. famous Anthony Bennett draft. But that a big part of it is, as high as, high as your pick is, it's got to be in the right draft. And luckily, the Thunder did get their high pick in a good draft and got yeah. Chet. My biggest factor in who wins tonight is who's the best player and most effective player on the floor between Shea and Paolo. Obviously, Shea is a more experienced player and has played really, really well this year. But Paolo is just a matchup nightmare in itself. Mm-hmm. He's one of the first guys, I think, since it was Grant Hill and LeBron James to score 27 in a rookie debut game. Mm-hmm. So he's just a monster out there. And it'll be really interesting to see the sort of coverages they throw at him. Yeah, you mentioned Baisley earlier. I think that's the guy. I wouldn't be surprised if Baisley started tonight. And I don't think he started all season, has he? I think he might have started like maybe the... Di- no, no, he hasn't. No, I looked at the lineup. Yeah, so he hasn't started. I, I don't think he has. So um, I think we'll see a lot of Baisley on, on Palo. I'm, I'm interested without like the magic having, you know, Cole Anthony would probably be a Lou Dort assignment. Um, if he's out, if Suggs is out, like I, I'm going to be... You think he gets Franz? Yeah, that, that's what I'm getting to because he's probably going to get Franz. Maybe he's going to get some time on Paolo. I, I don't know, but he's going to have to guard one of those bigger guys because I don't think they're going to waste him uh, on whoever the Magic is going to start tonight in the backcourt. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. And Ludor, obviously the human fire hydrant, can guard about any position out mm-hmm. there. But a guy like Franz, who got a lot of publicity over the summer, really interesting to see those two guys go at it. And then before we get out of here, I thought this was interesting. This day in NBA history... For the history buffs out there, November 1st, 2005, Chris Paul made his NBA debut in OKC for the Hornets versus the Sacramento Kings. That's awesome. That's a good bit of history. mm -hmm. And then three years later, obviously, the NBA makes its debut for the Thunder uh, when the Thunder arrive against the Milwaukee Bucks, which was not on November 1st, but I think it was October 31st or October 30th. I didn't realize how much earlier we're starting the season these days Mm -hmm. because October 19th was the the season opener. Yeah, that's, that's a cool bit of history i think the um the chris paul bit especially because just the way his career arc ended up you know fans fall in love with him in oklahoma city not knowing what the heck the nba is that success brings the thunder and then chris paul comes back for one of the most fun and unexpected thunder teams in recent history yeah one of my favorite teams for sure and chris paul coming to oklahoma city and playing those few years after katrina and the hornets being here was definitely a big moment for me as a kid coming from norman watching the nba and seeing there's an actual team downtown Mm -hmm. i remember going to a game with my dad and he's like i can't believe there's a team here against the boston celtics in person yeah i remember thinking that as well like it's like the lakers the celtics the bulls like these teams are in oklahoma city to to play an nba game so it it was super cool and like we we get numb to it now because um the thunder in their 15th season but uh it's still pretty cool to see the success that the nba has had here for sure well hopefully we get some more nba history in the next few days maybe Shea breaks that record and beats the curse but uh curse the curse yeah you that's that's the, how it's going to be known well, well if he misses a free throw i will be in press row throw and tomatoes at yeah me. i will ask Shea about it how do you feel personally attacked that joe masato made you miss those free throws uh, he's he's not that uh 
that mentally weak. I, I would hope not. He's he's going to persevere through it. Definitely not. But thank you so much for listening to the Thunder Buddies this week. Joe, do you have anything else to plug before we get out of here? I know you had a great story over the weekend about Shea's defense. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm kind of, I think I'm going to write more about the defense at large. Like last year before the All-Star break, they were a top 10 defense. It's like, how the heck is this team a top 10 defense? This year, I know it's early, but they've been in that six to seven range in defensive rating. Um, and I kind of asked Mark, you know, what they're doing personnel-wise, schematic-wise to have this good of a defense because they don't have that traditional rim protector. So, um, yeah, look out for that story. That'll definitely be a mess read. I'll have that immediately on my phone as soon as it comes out. But uh, thank you so much for listening. Like I said, rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Tell, us, tell your friends about us. But thank you for listening. <laughs>